0: Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. Welcome to episode 251 of HPO. For this episode, I spent some time catching up with Mickey Graglia. I always find it interesting to hear about the backstories of ultramarathon athletes. They certainly span a wide range, but it seems like there are a higher than average number of interesting events that drive them into the sport of ultramarathon. Mickey certainly fits into this category. He is a former international fashion model, but after realizing that wasn't the life he wanted, he tried his hand at ultramarathons. As often is the case, a lot of lessons were learned through trial and error in those early days, but since then has produced results as high as winning the Badwater 135 and setting the fastest crossing of the Atacama Desert and much more. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Mickey, and get a glance into both of our perspectives around running very long distances. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider supporting the show. If you wish to support monetarily, you can find links to my Patreon page or PayPal link on my website, zackbittercom forward slash HPO, or in the links in the show notes. If you wish to support the show non-monetarily, liking, sharing and subscribing to this show on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube goes a very long way. Stuff as well, but Mickey, thanks for taking some time and coming on the show.
1: Well, Zach, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I I've been having a lot of fun chatting with guys uh about some um, just some of these like really long ultra marathons and some of these multi-day stuff. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you've, you've definitely dipped your toe into kind of what I would consider like the a vast array of different ultra marathons from the shorter stuff to the very, very long stuff. Uh, what, what's one of the more exciting ultra marathons that you've done just out of curiosity since you have done so much?
1: Well, you know, I'm very much, uh, fascinated about this whole concept of, uh, or pushing our limits and pushing, you know, beyond. That's what ultra literally means. Mm-hmm. So for me, you know, the whole approach to the discipline, uh, or at least what fascinated me right at the beginning has always been this concept of kind of breaking down the perceived limitations that in a way or another we put on ourselves as humans in general. And so, you know, just being, you know, having the opportunity to confront ourselves and challenge ourselves and test ourselves out there to see what we're actually capable of. That's what always, you know, that's what's always driven me to, to venture in this, uh, in this type of uh, challenges. Um, you know, if we talk about specific races, you know, for me, water always represented the staple uh, just because it's not just a, you know, the distance of course, 135, it's a pretty respectable distance, but doing it in an extreme environment is always, always adds to the, you know, to the toughness of the event itself. And, um, you know, if we talk about here, Bedwater, to answer your question, if we're talking about specific specific events, though in the last few years, I was fortunate enough to be able to venture well beyond 100 milers and stuff like that, doing uh, some desert crossings. Um, one I did in 2018 throughout the whole De- uh, Atacama Desert in Chile, that was about 600 miles, which I did in about eight days and a half. Um, and then uh, there was another about 1,200 miles through the Gobi Desert in Mongolia in 2019, and that took me just over three weeks. So, you know, it's really about getting out there and seeing for ourselves what we, what, how far we can go and what we can actually do.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think what I always struggle with is it's really hard to really kind of in a clean, easy way, describe the breadth that there is within the ultra running stuff. You know, I'll usually try to sum it up to some degree. So people understand it's not like, you know, you could, you line up like a variety of these different folks who have kind of found themselves like getting recognized as ultra runners. And I mean, you can, you can find success at things from like 50 K to hundred K and just really hammer a lot of those. If you're, you know, the top of that, or you get, you know, Races like you describe, or projects like you describe, they're like multi-day things, and right. and then and then yeah, you add all the other stuff like the environment in there, where like you know, a hundred miles isn't always a hundred miles. You can go, right. the direction <laughs> I've gone, and and find as controlled environment as possible, and just try to compare from one to the next, or you can, you know, do some of these other you know desert races and things like yeah. that, where, you know every step is going to be a little different because you're, you're juggling some more variables in there. And
1: that's right. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of varieties to our sport, to our discipline. So there's no one size fits all. And that's what I think the beauty lies into, you know, we are, we're here to kind of express ourselves in different scenarios. And I mean, you know, your feats are legendary. And so, you know, we could. I could start interviewing you the other way around. So, you know, turn the mean? tables on me. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, you know, it's 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 absolutely inspiring. You know, whichever way you see it.
0: Yeah, and I think when I look at it, I kind of think. Oh, I guess I catch myself maybe thinking about this from time to time, where there is this draw, this pull for me to just think like, okay, how do I take that experience and fine tune it and really find where my level is within that yeah. versus. That comes at the opportunity cost of really exploring the sport in its fullest, if you can even do that <laughs> with the number yeah, right. of things. And I do see people kind of maybe going one way or the other, at least as yeah. their maybe primary focus. Is that something that do you find yourself going one way or the other, or do you kind of dabble in both a little bit?
1: Well, I try to play um, a little, you know, a little bit of let's say in both sides of the sport. But again, you know what truly what really fascinates me, it's, it's not about how f- necessarily how fast I can do something, but it's, it's more of, it becomes almost like a, an absolute question if I can actually do it. Mm-hmm. Can I physically make it to the finish of this? And so it's, it, it becomes more of an adventure rather than a race. It becomes more exploration than, rather than competition-based. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that kind of changed the perspective or at least the attitude going into whatever challenge I'm taking on, uh, it becomes more of a personal journey in the end, which I'm sure you can understand and relate very much uh, to. So yeah, this, I, w- I would answer that way. Absolutely, you I still love to toe the line, and if I can, you know, battle it out, bring it on. But again, um, the fascination, the, the fascination is about, in my eyes, is about pushing the envelope, and finding out where that limit truly lies. Hmm.
0: Yeah, there is this like, and this is something I'm getting kind of excited about. And I'm sure we'll talk a bit about this too, is I've done a lot of like remote, basically exclusively single day ultra marathons to this yeah. point. And, you know, once you've done, you know, you get the different courses and stuff. So you get a little flavor with different right. experiences and things, but there is this kind of draw that I haven't had in the last few years of racing that you're like, okay, I'm going to go out and find some uncharted territory in the sense that I'm going to go further than I have today, or I'm going to go into this environment I've never seen before and that sort of thing. And that's a draw that I think makes the sport interesting too, where if you, and sometimes I think it's what people do is they look at it as like a step where like, okay, I did 50 K now I need to do 80 K or hundred K now I need hundred miles and 200 miles. And it goes on and on. Uh, Do you get a pull from that too, of just like, how much more extreme can I make this? I already tested myself at that extreme. What's the next step?
1: That's exactly right. That answered the question already. Yeah, it's you know at I feel you know right now we are at a stage where we are exploring ourselves and our potential widely, uh, all sort of people, all walks of life, you know I would say, what is it thirty years ago we had the marathon as a staple then, you know, 10, 20 years ago, the 100 milers started coming around. And then I think over the past decade, there has been almost, uh, you know, we've been shattered at. you know, right now it's no longer is, you know, the question of, of if you can actually, if you can make it right now, you know, it's become almost like a speed race, 100 milers, look at races like Western States, look at the races, you know, you ran, stuff like that. It's, it's very much like a, you know speed speed work <laughs> mm-hmm. but um you know that now now we see the 200 milers come in into the, in the scene and even longer and so to me it's always about that curiosity of uh, to see where our bodies as humans uh, as a species how far we can actually push ourselves and find out where that you know it's it's about raising the bar in a way you know mm-hmm. when i finished the moab 240 uh just last was it october last fall yeah you know i ran 60 hours straight i i didn't sleep it was absolutely challenging it was absolutely tough and you know there's nothing you can say about that but when i crossed that finish line you know you had that thing inside you're like oh i could have just kept going you know you're breaking to that you know it's almost like a primal State, and you understand exactly what I'm talking about. You tap into that something deep inside that, you know, once you break those uh, physical and mental barriers, if you can stay on top of nutrition, and hydration, and manage sleep, ideally, you can just keep running forever. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, you, you're you're spot on. I think I just want to clarify for the listeners too. When you referenced Badwater and Moab 240, you won both of those races. You did the, on, that's the one right. Yeah, was, so.
1: I was fortunate enough, yeah, to sit on the on the you know the the top of the podium, and uh, that was an absolute you know privilege. That's for sure.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, uh, there it's cool when you can kind of have that sense of exploration and then on top of it also compete for the win and things like that. So I'm sure you're, you've drawn some motivation from that as well. Um, cool. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself because I know there's a story about Mickey before ultra marathon running that I think will be interesting to talk about a little bit too. So uh, maybe we just back up a bit and if you want, can you just tell us a little bit, kind of like, how did you kind of first, like, how did your, prof- let's just look at it this way. How did your kind of professional career or you as a professional begin? And how did that maybe lead into doing ultra marathons eventually? Cause I, you didn't start out just doing ultra marathons at a very young age.
1: Right. No, I actually was not a runner. I, I ran, I think the most I ran was a, probably a 7k 10k when I was like back in middle school or something like that, you know, like those little cross country, or track uh, meets that would make us do as PE, but that was pretty much it. So I don't have a running background. Um, I've always been fascinated by running, but, you know, from a very young age, the only running I knew was inside the tracks. So I really didn't know about, you know, trail running. I didn't know, forget about ultra running. So just about 10 years ago, just over 10 years ago, I stumbled upon a book, um, Ultramarathon Man by Dean Karnazes, which I'm sure, most of us know and uh, that book it it was it was very much like a lightning strike you know it it really opened up my eyes to a whole new world you know i knew marathons of course i had no idea what ultras were so i i got fascinated beyond belief about that you know that discipline that you know the fascination about pushing past your physical limitation and discovering, you know, putting yourself out there on a journey of self-exploration, you know, and dip digging in nature and all of that. Like there were so many elements that were just so enthralling. And, um, and so, yeah, I just, you know, on a whim I bought a pair of shoes and started running laps in central park. And um, I actually did jump straight into ultra marathons because I, again, the, the idea of running was great as a means, but it's the, about the quest, right? That was uh, beyond those physical limitations that was really tickling my my curiosity. And so, um, January 2011, I started training. May 2011, so four or five months after, I told the line to my first race, which happened to be a 100 miler. So, I, I basically went from zero to a hundred real quick. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I knew nothing about, you know, the, the, everything, all the other parts that come into play. So it's not just about the, the, you know, the training and physical preparation, uh, but you know, the mental side of it, the nutrition, the hydration, all the little parts that they're going to play. And, uh, you know, little it's needless to say it was, a it was pretty dramatic, uh you know i went out there just to run and uh about 84 miles into the race you know I trained the whole winter in new york i raced down in south florida uh in the keys at uh, the keys 100 so imagine 100 plus degrees 100% humidity it just beat me down to my knees and i 84 miles into the race i passed out cold um i woke up in an ambulance with my father pulling my tongue out of my throat oh, no. i was in a puddle vomit my, my wife, my, my, my then girlfriend, now wife, Lauren, my, my, my mother, my sister, everybody were there, uh, crewing for me. And they were all crying outside the ambulance, begging me to never do it again. And that's how we started.
0: <laughs> and then, and, and there's where you decided you're definitely going to be doing it again. right? <laughs> oh yeah.
1: It sounded great. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> but yeah. You know, that kind of, that kind of opened up there, the understanding because when i passed out 84 miles in i was actually in first place oh wow and mm-hmm. so that gave me in a way even if i failed brutally you know it was a terrifying debacle right there but the understanding that something i did was right and the direction that i took was somewhat um again it was a failure but it was a it was a positive failure in many ways mm-hmm. it gave me the understanding that if i Tweaked a few things. And if I improved my knowledge, you know, widen my understanding of what I was doing uh, and a little process of trial and error, I could have been decent at it. And so for the past few, for the next few years after that, I, you know, I went through the whole journey of trying things that would work both in training and racing, both, you know, on the physical level, both on the nutritional hydration, all of that. And the end of 2015 after, after 2014, after, Knocking out a few good results, I actually got contacted by Ultra, which you are representing well, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, they gave me the opportunity to to actually make that leap and 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 really follow that path wholeheartedly. So it's been absolutely a blessing from that point on. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think uh your experience, your first experience. It's I see that happen. Because I mean, a hundred miles is a uh, pretty big leap, especially when you're coming in from just not really having a background in running and, right. and, you know, it's kind of that first distance, I think, where it's very far from what you're going to do in any one training, right. training effort. Whereas, you know, you think of like marathons and things like that, you can kind of basically run the distance before and confirm in your mind, okay, like the, the doing of this. I can do this. it. Yeah. <laughs> but a hundred miles, it's like, you know, you might be like halfway. You might do a fifty miler or something. Sounds right. like you just jumped right in. But yeah. um, did you overheat? Is that what got you on that one? Or
1: well, again, I just showed up at the the you know I told the line with a handheld, short mm-hmm. shorts, no shirt. I just went out there. I'm like, I got this. You know, I came here to run, and I basically just chug water. I you know I had a little piece of banana and a bar here and there, but I had no understanding or knowledge of. Um, electrolytes about, you know, topical cooling. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> cooling strategies. I had like, I just, you know, I just took it basically until I couldn't take it anymore. So I mm. ran until just my body says, okay, that's, that's about it. And, and that's where lights went out.
0: <laughs> sure. You know, I find the humid weather a little more interesting from that standpoint, just because I mean, I've had experience, I grew up in the Midwest. So I trained yeah. through like humid weather, Uh, I now live in Phoenix, so I get the, you know, the driest of hot summer days. Right, right, right. And I just find it so fascinating. Like when I'm running in the dry heat, like I get way thirstier quicker. I dehydrate faster, but cooling is like your body. I guess the way to maybe think about it is like our bodies are more or less designed to be able to cool and dry heat pretty effectively, as long as you can kind of stay on top of things. Right. But humidity, for whatever reason, you just overheat a lot quicker. Yeah. So, and it's, it can be pretty immediate. Like you, you, oh, yeah. You're feeling good. And also, next time, (laughs) next thing you know it, you, and it's like you stop and like you're running, you stop. And next thing you know it, you're like lying on the ground and, yeah, uh, seeing stars.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. 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 The whole, Trust me, I got that. I got all of it. <laughs> yeah,
0: so it's it's one of those things where I I, I don't want to say you, sh- you have to learn it the hard way, but it's like yeah. you learn it the hard way sometimes, and you realize, okay, I need to figure out a solution here because it's not going to be just a matter of willpower. It'll be literally the lights will exactly. go off, and then you know you wake up, uh, you know, with your friends and family around you, wondering what the heck you're doing to yourself. <laughs>
1: totally totally you know they knew nothing about it they knew even less than i did and just being thrown in that type of experience was pretty traumatic Mm -hmm. for them you know still to the day i mean we laugh about it now but you know it was when you're passing out and you're not waking up for for a little bit Mm -hmm. you know i i was very very close to you know suffering hyponatremia to the most extreme level of it Mm -hmm. which could lead to coma and death you know well Uh, so it's, uh, it's, you know, it was definitely a scary, a scary beginning, but, you know, I'm very thankful for, to myself for not giving up after that initial failure for, in a way, finding a positive side of it and be able to, to make the right adjustments to eventually, uh, understand how the physiology work and how you Mm -hmm. can actually continue running even through, you know, the harshest of conditions. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah and that's that's one thing that that I played around with a little bit earlier in my running career too And I'll, I'll usually try to when I'm helping out new ultra runners yeah so, that, so they don't have to go through your experience or some Egg. of the experiences <laughs> I had it's like the electrolyte to water ratio thing where
1: right
0: you know I, I think everyone knows I should be drinking water during this but they don't always know like when when you're sweating and you're replacing that water yeah you know your sweat and anytime you excrete liquid it's going to tie itself to the electrolytes. So eventually you get to a point where your body's like, Hey, we really can't, afford to be losing any more of this. And, right. and you get in a bad spot. And, and I think like the, the most recent recommendations that I've seen is it's like, you want to have like 500 to 700 uh, milligrams of electrolytes for every liter of water you consume. Right. So you, you, you kind of think like, well, you can drink to thirst if you have that kind of electrolyte tied to the, to that liter of water, and then it's, it's a little easier at that point. Cause then if it gets warmer and you drink a little more, you just make sure you account for that. And
1: right. uh,
0: that makes it a little, a little easier. Uh, some topical cooling can help too in those situations. Right, right, gonna... right.
1: Totally. <laughs> just going bare chested in that type of conditions is not ideal. Trust yeah. Me. Yeah. So
0: yeah, so, Actually a question about that. Cause I mean, obviously yeah. you remedied that situation. You found yourself at bad water, which yeah. is one of the hottest races you can do. Right. Uh, did you do, cause when, you know, there's like, obviously staying hydrated is one thing, but from a core temperature standpoint, you could get that core temperature down much quicker by getting cold ice water on the surface of your skin. Yeah. Did you, did you jump in like ice baths or anything like that while you're
1: doing bad water? No, I didn't, but I learned a lot. Um, you know I, I crew twice before mm-hmm. racing it. Um, and then I the first time I ran bad water was actually two thousand sixteen. And uh, I went in with a little bit of a cocky attitude in a sense that, you know, I'm like, you know, I did plenty long runs. I felt like I hit all the notes, you know I did lots of training the saunas. And you know, lots of training the heat. I used, you know, I, I used to live in LA, so I would go to Death Valley or even Palm Springs, which were like you know, one to three hours away. And so I I put in the work, but the cockiness came on race day for the fact that again, with that knowledge that I kind of checked off all the boxes, I went in without a very poor um, cooling strategy. And so I went there with a tank top, with short shorts, you know, my my. Hydration strategy worked great, um, but again, the, the, the idea in my head of getting sprayed and getting my feet wet and leading to blistering and sh- you know shred, shredded skin and all of that stuff kind of put, put the thought of wetting myself to the side. So I'm like, I just do this, I drink, and I try to stay on top of that, that should be fine. Terrifying experience i i you know about 15 17 hours into the race my wheels completely fell off and i took about like 14 hours for 30 miles or something like that i was literally crawling um and you know i i I started peeing blood my kidneys were shut i mean it was absolutely debilitating and terrifying um fast forward 2018 with that knowledge acquired again the the hard way (laughs) I I very much uh, prioritize the cooling strategy. So starting from my clothing, you know, big visor hats, my whole body. Of course, I like, you know, light clothes, but it was all covered. I had like long sleeves. I had the, you know, the calf sleeves and the, you know, everything covered white so that my team could just every basically mile, mile and a half, two miles tops, get off the car replace ice in the hat, in the bandana, in the clothes, in the sleeves everywhere, and just spray me down. So mm-hmm. it was a constant job from the end, which is, you know, outstanding because it's an absolute torture, even just to be a, a crew out there, let let her on running it. But um that worked great. And I was able to take 10 hours, which is a pretty big chunk of time, 10 hours off my previous time. And for you know, I'm fortunate to say that we actually brought out the you know, the big W home.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, the interesting thing, I think people sometimes recognize when they either are watching stuff from Badwater or a race like that, or any of these like hotter desert races is, I think if they're not into the sport or they're not into just like cooling strategies, they wonder, well, why is, why are people wearing long sleeves and that sort of stuff? Like it's, it's, you know, a hundred plus degrees out there. Why would you want any more clothing on than you, than you have to? But when you actually look at how the body responds, like the, the direct sunlight hitting your skin actually makes it more difficult to stay cool. Absolutely. So the long sleeves whites, preferably because it's going to yeah. deflect the sun, right. Versus yeah. something dark, which will absorb it. Yeah. And then on top of that too, you have this like kind of situation going where it's almost in reverse from the humid weather where I'm running in humid weather The water just kind of clings to me, so I kind of have this wet layer. That constant, right? A breeze hits that wet layer, cools you off. It feels great. Your body kind of works that way a little bit. In the dry heat, you might not even know you're sweating. You could be losing (laughs) liters and liters per hour.
1: That's absolutely right. Yeah, Yeah. in Death Valley, by the time you sweat, it's already out. It's already gone.
0: Yeah, so you have that full layer, that thin layer of white clothing on, uh-huh. you get that wet and it's almost like, okay, now you have something that's holding on to that moisture a little longer than your skin is going to, and then any, well, although the breeze out at bad water is going to be like getting hit with a hot air dryer more or less, but it's right. it's going to maybe give you a little bit of cooling effect when that liquid gets hit by the, by any breeze that you're making moving forward or that's coming towards you. And yeah, um, so for folks wondering, that's kind of the reasoning behind that versus, being just in the tiniest pair of shorts and a pair of shoes, um, right. and getting just blister red afterwards. <laughs>
1: <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. I can vouch um, for that.
0: So uh, one question I think that sometimes pops up, uh, partly because of uh, the book you referenced earlier, I think where, yeah. which is a catalyst for a lot of folks our age, I think the getting into the sport was Dean's book that totally. just kind of introduced the sport to a bunch of people that one in born to run people had no yeah. clue what an ultramarathon was it made it a little bit more of a like oh that exists and then yeah. you go down that rabbit hole and before you know it you're signed up for one uh was was this bad water experience where he's like you got to run on the white lines on the road because the dark surface stuff you actually would notice his shoes would degrade a little quicker because it yeah, the they heat. would stick uh-huh
1: yeah it's, it's um yeah you can not actually cook eggs out there
0: it's crazy no so, problem yeah it, are you guys actually doing that? Like trying to run on the white or is there more just like, we're going to go through extra pairs of shoes in order to make this thing happen?
1: (laughs) No. I mean like the white, you know, it's, it's basically a highway, you know, it's Mm -hmm. a two, two ways highway, but it's, you know, the, 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 the lines are pretty, pretty wide. So it's not an effort Mm -hmm. and you try to stick to it because it really cools down. Like, you know, it can be just a few degrees, Mm -hmm. but also it's not just about the bottom of the shoe. It's also the actual, perceived temperature by the bottom of your feet. Mm-hmm. So if you're running on the black, dark asphalt out there, you actually feel your your feet cooking. Mm-hmm. You feel them burning. And that also, you know, that kind of radiates upward. And so, you know, it's all, I think running on the, on the line doesn't just save the, the, the shoes, but it actually helps you keeping the temperature a little cooler mm-hmm. throughout the whole body.
0: Hey folks, my friends at Eggweights are supporting this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. If you're not familiar with them, Eggweights makes a variety of ergonomic exercise equipment. They have options for boxing and martial arts training, full body workouts with their torque force and torque board, a massage toolkit, and my personal favorite, their running pods. Eggweights were tested in the University of Southern California Exercise Science Clinical Research Lab and have been proven to do things like activate your core during running, intensify your arm drive, correct poor running form, and more. I love to take my running pods out in the afternoon for easy paced runs where I can focus and work on proper form and mechanics. Having a small ergonomic weight in my hand helps correct my arms from swinging out or too far forward, it also prevents my core from relaxing too much through my gait cycle. The Running Pods come in a variety of weights and colors. They also just recently launched their Youth Pods, which will be a great tool for kids, youth sports, and coaches to help develop proper form and mechanics from an early age. Head over to eggweights.com, that's E-G-G-W-E-I-G-H-T-S.com, and click on the Running tab to check them out. If you decide they are a tool for you, Plug in promo code Zach15, that's Z-A-C-H-1-5, for an extra 15% off your order. These links and the promo code can be found in the show notes. Yeah, Yeah, that's a great point because I think that's another thing that can slip by people a lot of times where you can look at the temperature and be like, oh, it's 120 degrees outside. That temperature is probably being grabbed from like maybe five, 10 feet above the ground. Oh yeah, that's right. You get a couple inches from that black asphalt and it's like, I don't know, I'm sure there's <laughs> 150, estimates. 150,
1: 170, yeah, I don't it's know. It's more, yeah. yeah <laughs> it's so like,
0: scorching. Your knees down could just be like in an oven basically Exactly. the rest of your body. Yep, yep. So, I mean, thankfully there's been folks who've kind of figured that out either the hard way or through some- some. They uh, paved the way in yeah, many ways, yeah. yeah. they showed us what not to do exactly. to a degree. Exactly. Um, so that's really cool. I do want to ask, uh, a, a quick question too, yeah. or maybe not so quick, depending on how much you want to dive into it is like, you kind of had an interesting, uh, interesting life before ultranning too, and that you were, you were essentially a professional model for a while before you even stepped right. on your first, uh, um, ultra marathon. So what was that like being kind of a, having a successful career outside of the sport of running and yeah. then kind of did was there anything within that? Cause I know that's gotta be a crazy lifestyle in terms right. of just like the mental and physical aspects of it. Was there anything about that, that kind of drew you to ultra running or positioned you to maybe be able to handle the extremes of ultra running?
1: You know, I, it, it was a completely different experience, um, altogether, uh, from, a, from any side. I, the one thing that I could say, I kind of transition from one industry to the other is, is the, understanding of that the body can, can morph and can be, and can adapt pretty much to any, anything we, we want to do. So, you know, you can transform yourself, you can readapt yourself and you can pretty much achieve whatever you set your eyes, you know, uh, whatever you set your, you know, your, your, your aim towards. And, and that is, you know, that came along with the practice and dedication behind the training that I still endured when I was a model. Because, mm-hmm. you know, to me, um, the the whole experience in the industry was very much driven by how fit I was. So that was a constant labor, you know, day in, day out, uh, very, very dedicated, very, very, um, um, you know, paying attention to the, to the s- smallest details. And I cannot say that I had a lot of knowledge, uh, especially when it comes down to nutrition, because at that point it was more about, you know, starvation. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so I would just not eat or, or fast for like a day or two and, you know, just cut down to where I needed to be. Um, so that is something that absolutely explored more and understood more as I got into the into running. But again, the the, the daily practice um, from hitting the gym and taking care of my body in a way I was able to transition the other way, still stick to the daily routine, still stick into my practice, just a different way of doing it.
0: Yeah. It's almost like I've had enough of that, that type of stuff. Let's, let's get into an activity yeah. that requires me to consume a lot of calories.
1: <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> so I don't need to starve myself. <laughs> well, no, the, you know, honestly, um, you know, the, we, we go to the depths of the whole, uh experience there in the book but uh you know to to kind of summarize the whole thing is i just came to a breaking point i just came to you know, you know i ca- i come from italy i was born and raised over there i came to the states in 2007 so just over 14 years ago and uh you know i i was working a family business i was in sales and i was you know um again more like of a business guy and landed in miami Uh, that fall 2007 got scouted my modeling agent and so that whole career just kind of started out of nowhere and it was an amazing experience Uh, amazing um, you know in a way when you're at that age I was 24 25 years old you know you're thrown in that type of lifestyle um, you know hanging out with the socialites and uh, you know everything that comes with their parties and notoriety and you know money and all of that stuff you feel like they can go the world and there's no denying it you know it's like it's almost like the image of success and dream that we kind of were instilled since a young age or something we need to pursue but then you know i you know after traveling the world and working with some of the biggest names in the industry between photographers and clients and all of that i just came to a to the understanding that there there must have been more to life than than what i was doing Ah, uh, you know the the toxic and unhealthy lifestyle was definitely taking the toll. The career in itself, the industry in itself is is a daunting industry. It's a very soul-crushing uh, industry. You know you you can work very hard. Uh, you can be as professional as you want to be, but it's never just about that. It's also about, what are you willing to compromise? Mm-hmm. And, you know, here we can hover over this conversation, because if we get in the depths of it, it might get ugly. But you know what I mean? It's, uh, it's, it, it can get uncomfortable. And so to me, it was it was almost like, a, it was a big crisis, it was a big personal crisis, it was a big career crisis, it was just like, a moment, as I said earlier, you know, it was a breaking point in my life where I was very much at the verge of just giving up everything. And um, and that's when, you know, I saw the light <laughs> ahead of me, uh, thanks to to Dean, which in a way paved the way. He showed me the, you know, a whole new world. And kind of, you know, beside the fact that I very much um, related to what he was saying, I very much saw myself in his words. you know we come from different careers, but we both got to that point. You know he was a businessman, successful businessman and reached that success that we all want. and and I felt like I was at the same spot and I came to the same conclusions. And so to me it was like you know, if he was able to make that change, if he was able to actualize that vision, if he was able to pursue that dream, maybe I can do it too. And so that's you know that's when I bought a pair of shoes, and it allowed me to kind of retrace myself back to the roots. You know, I was raised in Italy again. Um, I was very fortunate to have a family that introduced us to the great outdoors from a very very young age. You know, we got the Alps right there. We used to ski the Alps every every winter. We used to hike the Dolomites every summer. So it's not a bad place to be. No. And uh, you know, to me, in a moment where I felt caged in a big city like New York ultra running about, you know, get in touch with yourself, get in touch with nature. It kind of spoke my language. And and that's when, you know, that's when the dream began. Mm -hmm. And now we're here talking.
0: Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Well, it is interesting because I think Dean's book, like if if you read the book and you had like any seed of doubt in your mind that what you were doing was fulfilling and the direction you should be going, that yeah. book did a good job of like identifying that seed of doubt and saying, well, let's see if we can make this grow a little bit. And yeah. I think, you know, a lot of people read that and thought to themselves, like, is this what I really want to be doing? Or at yeah. the very least, how can I interject some of that into my yeah. life? So even if I do keep carry on with my career or my business or whatever it is, yeah, how do I get a taste of that as well? Um, but I mean, I'm always really interested in stories like yours because like, I mean, you had a full career and then switched at the point in time where like, when I think of myself, like that was the age when I was like, really kind of even first taking my first swing at starting any type of career, other than like, oh, I'm still in school. So (laughs) I'm always, I'm always fascinated by like the decision making process and that sort of stuff at that age level, just because for me, when I look back at it, like, I don't necessarily think I was equipped to make big decisions like that at the time, but um, right. some of it, I guess, is just you grow up as fast as you need to. So
1: that's exactly, you know, you, you adapt to whatever situations you're, you're in. Um, and I think that's the beauty and the resilience of, of the human spirit. You know, I, I, I wasn't ready for that transition either, but it was a necessity. Mm-hmm. You know, change is always scary. is always uncomfortable. And, but it always happens in a moment of crisis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if everything is comfortable, if everything is fine, why, why struggling? Why, why putting yourself in an uncomfortable zone uh, that could last weeks, months, years, you know? I, I, you know, it took me several years to actualize that, that dream or that desire to, to make in my life. And so, you know, um, I just, I think I just made it through because there was no other choice in many ways. And, and I was so committed that, you know, it wasn't a question of dedication. It wasn't a question of, you know, how much energy or effort you're putting into it. I was willing to give it whatever it took to to make it happen. And so, you know, um, I got to say, in a very weird way, I'm very thankful for, to myself for believing in me and, you know, sticking to the practice even when, or, you know, the highs and lows that happen in our sports. Because, you know, you are a very... Uh, you're an outstanding um, athlete, but you're also a very consistent uh, athlete that understand what it takes to be, to what it takes to have longevity in the sport. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. you, you understand the highs and lows that don't happen just in each run, in each week, in each month, in each season, but even year after year. So you know, there are years that go great, and you're on top of it. There are years that go so well, and you're struggling. So even finding the courage to make it through those patches, I think it's all part of the of you know the bigger picture that leads you to where you want to go
0: yeah for sure and i think the the sport does kind of lend that self to where i see this happen i think a lot where you know you know someone will come into the sport and they'll get some success early yeah. and you know or maybe they're even just maybe it's not even success it's just like oh i finished that 100k i finished that 100 miler right. things went relatively well nothing went so far off plan. And the expectation yeah. becomes that that's like the experience each and every time, right. even if those experience had their own kind of hurdles to get over during them, that kind of draws you back to kind of get that feeling again. Yeah. You can hit those, like you explained, you can hit those phases where, you know, maybe you drop out of your first race. Now, all of a sudden that's a potential where you went in before, where it's like, I always finish these things or I always get it done. You right. know, now, now you have a situation where, you know, you pulled out for whatever reason. And for me, I think it was really, really interesting. You get to that point where you drop out of a couple races and you have to get at a certain point, you have to kind of sit down with yourself and just say, okay, am I dropping out prematurely? Are these, is this necessity to continue my career? Uh, And I think you need to eventually kind of hit a stride where it's like, things are going great or maybe not great, but things are going along and for whatever reason, you have a race where you're able to push through a couple extra barriers further than you maybe would have been able to in the past. And then you kind of highlight to yourself, okay, that's what it looks like when I get things done right, or when I'm right. mentally with it entirely. And my mental strength is managing the physical strength I prepared for.
1: Right.
0: Um, and then you know, it's a hit or miss sometimes whether someone gets through that. I've seen folks kind of phase out of the sport because they can't quite navigate that and right. Right. that sort of stuff or... Uh, but for you, did you have anything, did it, was there a spot? Cause I mean, we've essentially been in the sport about the same amount of time. I did my first ultra marathon in 2010.
1: Oh, you wow. Were, so yeah, we're right, yeah. right right around the same. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. 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 So did you have a phase where you are just like, ah, man, stuff just isn't happening. And, you know, I should have had a good race at this point. It's been a year and a half or something like that, that may, was yeah. tough to get through or.
1: Well, I would say the past, the couple of years in between 2016, 2017, I went through a bit of a, um, um, I would say I wouldn't say a tough patch, but more like of a, you know, it was more of a question of, is this what I really want to do? Mm. You know, I came to question if 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 this was worthwhile, what I was doing was worthwhile. It wasn't a matter of like you know me finishing races or finishing races well or bad. It was like a bigger picture, and that's what I think, in my opinion, is the hardest part about our, you know, our discipline is renewing the motivation, finding, because like, you know, well, you know, what inspires you, what, what pushed you, what drove you, like in 2010, 2011, 2012, couldn't work last year, couldn't work two years ago. You know, every year we're growing, we're expanding our understanding, you know, we're in, we're heightening our, in a way, awareness of what we're doing. And so sticking to the same motivation just didn't work. And so in those couple of years, I struggled with that for the fact that, you know, in 2015, I was able to say I'm, I'm a pro and, you know, for whatever it means in our sport, but you know what I mean? It was like, okay, I, I kind of hit the spot. Um, I'm doing what I thought was gonna be my next, you know, my dream. And is this what I was looking for? Is this what I want to do in my life? Is this, and so I started having trouble answering those questions. And if you don't have that solid rock, in my opinion, when you're toe the line, it's going to be really hard to finish a race properly. Because mm-hmm. you have to have, and again, this is all in my opinion, this is a, my, my attitude and perspective going into races and seasons. It's what is the one thing I can reach for when to go and get stuff. Because it's going to get tough. Mm-hmm. You're gonna get plenty highs and lows. You're gonna get plenty moments where you're gonna say, "Oh, this is not. This is like screw this. I'm gonna go home." You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> why? You know, why? Why putting yourself through so much discomfort, so much pain at times? But if you're wise, strong enough, then you can break through walls. and You feel like a, like a hero, really. And that's what I think it's a magnificent part of our sport. You can truly break through those barriers. You just gotta have that one motivation. Mm -hmm. you know, laid in front of you and nothing can disturb you from that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think you said it perfectly. Like from what my experience has been too, it's like that you, you want it, you you need to have the why, but you also need to be aware that that why is going to evolve over the course of, you know, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. If you want to be in the sport for more than a couple of years, you probably need to be open to that. And then there's these like transition phases where, your why is kind of the why that you first had, or your most recent why is starting to phase out. And, you know, you hopefully catch a new one sooner rather than later, but sometimes it can take a little bit of like self-searching to figure out what that actually is. That's right. And you do find yourself asking yourself, you know, is this worth it? Is this, you know, is this something I actually want to be doing with my life or should I just, should I be like focusing on something else and building that up? And, Um, I think I had that experience to a degree between like 2017 and 2018, where, you know, some of my early whys were starting to phase out and I needed to kind of reconnect in a different way and see kind of like, you know, what, what is truly going to drive me? What is truly my motivation here? Um, and then, you know, then you find it and then you have a great, great couple of years races or fulfilling or what you described, you get put in that position where there's going to be a point. I'll use a hundred mile race for experience. Let's like say you're a mile 70 where you've been kind of stripped raw and you have nothing left other than why you're out there. Yep. And that's kind of the come to Jesus moment, right? You have to say like, <laughs> if, if, that, if your why is not a legitimate, why yeah. you're going to slow down, you're going to drop out. You're going to yep. have an unfulfilling, you're going to finish that race possibly, but you're going to look back on them. Like, you know, there was something left on the table there, but I couldn't quite really push in when it, when the going got tough.
1: Yep. Yep. That's exactly right.
0: Hey folks, I want to make a quick shout out to some of my personal athlete sponsors and offer all of you some discount options if you think my gear is also right for you. My shoe of choice, Ultra Footwear, is offering listeners 15% off. They make a foot-shaped, balanced, cushioned shoe that fits like a glove. S-Fuels is offering 5% off and they are my go-to low-carb workout and lifestyle product of choice. Eggweights is offering 15% off their running form, strength work, and recovery products. Finally, Purpose Performance Wear is offering 10% off my favorite workout apparel, including my own signature series. So head over to zachbittercom forward slash mygear or the profile link on my social media channels to check out these discounts and more. All right, folks, now back to the show. Awesome. So... Your your book, uh, what's the title of it again?
1: Ultra, very straightforward, and uh, the subtitle is "Top Model to Top Ultra Runner." So basically, we we got in the depths of that that story and that transition and the whys.
0: Awesome, yeah. No, I think that'll be a it'll be a fun one. I'm gonna have to get my hands on one and, and read that uh, and just kind of look at that. I really love kind of hearing. Just the trajectories or the unique experiences of folks, because I think there's yeah. a lot of and as we've kind of, I think, laid out here, I mean, there's going to be there's parallels. But then everyone's experience is going to have a different set of variables within those parallels that make it kind of exciting to highlight some of the stuff. And and what I find, too, is reading books like that or paying attention to stories like that, it kind of is it, even if it's touching on things that I know some of that stuff there's so much of it, it just drifts in kind of your subconscious to a degree. And it's like, oh, yeah, I need to remember that one, or I need to reflect on that again, or I need to clean up that area a bit. And uh yeah, I think that's important stuff. If you want to, yeah. like we said, keep finding that why.
1: Yeah, I, you know, the, the thing is, this is just my story. But I think just as just as Dean inspired many of us, it's just a way of telling the bigger picture, because I think, you know, whichever walk of life, whichever career, you know, whether I think this this type of lessons learned on our, you know, on our skin Mm -hmm. raw, they can very much be applied in any endeavor in life, you know, whether it's business, whether it's whatever career, relationship, sport, and stuff like that. So, you know, the desire to write a book um, very much came from almost like a way of giving back, uh, because I understood how powerful the how strong the power of motivate of inspiration was, especially when I read Dean's book. You know, I I even told the, told the guy, told the man, you know, your your book didn't just change my life. It, it actually saved it at that at a specific point. And so, you know, being able to be in that position where I can share what I experienced and hopefully inspire others to, you know, take on a bigger challenge, whatever's, you know, doesn't matter how big or scary it may sound, you know you we all have the opportunity to reinvent ourselves. I think there is a great deal of dissatisfaction uh, in our society because I think we just tend to stick to the status quo and go for the secu- false sense of securities and comfortable comfortable lifestyles without truly opening up our wings and giving ourselves you know the opportunity to even explore our boundaries and that's a shame. Because in that way you you live a a life half lived, and so living fully, living purposely, living a fulfilled experience, a fulfilled journey, I think that's I think that's what it's all about. And so just being here, talking it out with you, and being able to share my story is uh, an absolute privilege. Awesome,
0: yeah, no, it's 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 fun to, fun to hear it straight from. That's I think it's one of my favorite parts about the podcast stuff is like if you, uh, you know, obviously if you want to chat with someone you reach out and hope they want to come on but then i find myself also like there's so many of these right hope i I find just as often like someone reaches out and is like you you want to chat you want to do an interview and then you know it reminds me oh yeah that'd be a great topic to chat about and i'm gonna learn something here we're gonna we're gonna have a fun dialogue um i want to i want to talk about one other thing too i think uh we have some similar maybe some similar projects coming up in the future uh, I'm preparing I right think now. I heard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm looking to, to leap away for at least a, a brief period of time. If you want to call it brief, I guess, uh, yep. from the single day ultra marathon stuff and try my, try my lot at a, a multi-day or, uh, a, um, a, a bigger effort. So Continental. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, there's uh, you know, the listeners of this podcast will will obviously know I'm preparing for a transcontinental run, gonna be running from San Francisco to New York. Um, I believe you are as well, Mickey. You're you're gearing up for something like that. What's uh, the status on your project?
1: Yeah, so um remember earlier I just briefly mentioned I did this couple of desert crossings that were completely um, you know, self-uh planned, self-made challenges, uh adventures that I set out for myself. And um, it was part of a of a bigger project. So in 2018, I did the Atacama in Chile. In 2019, I did the Gobi in Mongolia. And I had my eyes set on two much bigger projects that were the Sahara and Antarctica. So really checking off the most extreme deserts on the planet. And I was so driven by that, that, you know, it became almost like a, like an obsession throughout these past few years. But unfortunately, you know, 2020 came around, COVID hit, um, everything was put on hold. And so even this year, uh, restrictions are still very much in place. So I still have to push that project ahead. And uh, and so, you know, this past season, this past winter, I was sitting here, you know, planning my season ahead. And I was thinking about which race I was going to do and what to do and what not and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I came to think about why not do something here in the country? Mm -hmm. And so the idea of the transcon came to me as well. Um, I think, you know, I will be, I will, I would love to share with you, you know, if we can help each other out in a way or another, Uh, the timing might be a little difficult just because I have Tahoe 200 at the beginning of September. Mm. So my, my planned start will be towards mid end of October, which will put me in a little challenge, more challenging spot, especially, or perhaps going through Colorado and finishing up in December, but that's always like a hit or miss, especially like in the Northeast, when you're going through Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, you know, I lived there for a few years. I know that, you know, you can get beautiful weather through the end of December, or sometimes you're getting blizzards blizzards at the end of October. So it really, it's really a hit or miss, Mm -hmm. but, you know, with that in mind, I I pretty much have, you know, all the support uh, already figured out. I would like to follow Pete Costanix's route, uh, which I'm sure is the one you're following as well.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And, um, you know, again, I I know I did, you know, 70 some miles in the Atacama when I ran it, but that was only 600 miles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, you know, different altitude, different terrain and different situation. But, you know, just putting myself out there and seeing what I can do, it's that's what it's all about to me, you know it's just it's very much an adventure. Do I know if I can do it? I don't, but that's the beauty the lie the beauty lies right there you know we're putting ourselves out there and see how hard and how fast we can actually go
0: yeah i th- I mean I just think the project as a whole is really interesting because there' i mean it's long enough where there's so <laughs> 3, many thousand miles
1: <laughs> sounds pretty yeah sounds sounds pretty legit
0: <laughs> it's yeah it's it's long enough to get anyone uh you know, I think interested in what's going on there, but like, there's also so much that you're like, I mean, you described it. Like, I mean, there's w- the weather component where, yeah. you know, you have to, if especially if you're going after any type of speed attempt, right. you know, like you're just going to have to get lucky if you realistically want to have like your best potential performance out there. And, and really no one's effort is going to perfectly match another ones because of that variable right. there. You know, if like if uh, you hit storms over the Sierras and in the Colorados, like you're going right. to, you know, in Colorado, you're going to you, you slow down probably, but like, if you don't, then, you know, you're going to go a little faster. And, yep. and there's also other variables too. Like I'm assuming you're going to be having an RV follow you along or lead your way and yeah, you know, that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah. I'm planning just about one RV and one, maybe one uh, saddle, like support vehicle to kind of be in between. Yeah. Especially for like, maybe, you know, um, shorter stretches or like more treacherous stretches of road and stuff that, uh, Mm -hmm. maybe the RV has more trouble navigating, but, um, yeah. And I think the, the, the one part that is easy, relatively easy is that once you have the route set, you know, you just, you're just following the the lead of your vehicles and all you got to think about is run eat and sleep yep that's all you got to think about and i got to tell you that's one of the most amazing feelings i've ever had again I, you know i speak of experience from the deserts you know we were in a in a controlled environment we were out there at the you know in some of the toughest environments you know we in mongolia we were going from 90 100 degrees during the day to sub 10 at night it was like yeah. ex- that extreme yeah. winds blowing up, sands and all that. But again, bringing it back to the mindset of knowing that for this much time, all I have to do is focus on running, eating, and sleeping. Getting yeah. up, running, eating, and sleeping. That's as simple as that. And it brings you back to a to a certain level of understanding that, you know, once you break into it, and you all, it's it's all about sleep management. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I'm very excited that you know we're both kind of we have our we're eyes on that. You kind of raised the stakes there. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I'll be happy to to connect if there's you know to, if we can help each other out, if we can coordinate or something. You know, there'll be there'll be an outstanding opportunity. For sure.
0: No, I think it'll be cool. I think I. I mean, I look at all these things as. Kind of fun projects and things like that. And, you know, if, if I'm fortunate enough to get anywhere close to Pete's pace, uh, I'd be happy right. to share that experience with you. I mean, I think it's just cool to see this type of a, pro- like, I, I'm like, I like all these things getting attention to the degree where it gets tested. Um, right. I think Pete showed us that in 2016. It's like yeah. you, with our group of, like, to go back to what we were talking about before, like, when we got into ultra running was kind of that wave of this. Okay. Here's the next phase of this sport. That's going to, we're going to have this big upsurge of it and who knows mm-hmm. where it goes. Eventually it'll probably settle down. Maybe it dips back into obscurity for a while and it'll be yeah. another wave or something like that. Who knows? But what I really like is like so much of this sport actually does have a very deep history, a long history.
1: That's right. And
0: we're seeing some of this stuff get rediscovered over the years. It's like, you know, Western States, got rediscovered to a big degree even yep. though that one kind of maintained a little bit better than maybe other that's maybe not the best example but um a lot of these events are getting rediscovered and rechallenged in this new group of folks with new technologies yeah feeding on the past stuff from what the the last generation that went through it, it is rechallenging these things and Pete kind of did that for the Transcon i think it was like that was like at least for me anyway like I, you know, I was aware of that route in the record that was there before that when Pete did in 2016. It's yeah. like, okay, well, that bar just got rose. Now we know that someone can average just over 72 miles a day on this.
1: That's right. So That's it's right. like, where
0: do we push it next? So, um, I think in a perfect world, uh, between the two of us, we see that bar go somewhere higher yet, <laughs> and, and then inevitably, some. It's will hard to along. say,
1: but it's good to be out there and trying to, you know, to to raise that bar. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, and I mean to be t- perfectly fair, I mean I'm I'm. I'm trying to be realistic about it too, where like I'm I'm trying not to get too ahead of myself, knowing like I've never done anything remotely near to this. So like the reality for me could be that, you know, that type of an effort is just way beyond my reach at this point. And I need to settle for something less and I need to be consistent with what I'm capable of. But I regardless of whether that is, you know under at or ahead of what was done before it's going right. to be a big challenge and i'm, I'm sure i'm going to seize that sort of stuff but I'll, I'll make you a deal if i finish quick enough to be done before you start i'll, I'll share all the mistakes i made and and hopefully pave a, a smooth <laughs> of a path as possible for your effort
1: <laughs> i i appreciate it. that's very kind of you when, when is that you're planning to start
0: um uh, i'm starting september 1st so okay
1: so right at the beginning of the month yeah okay. mm-hmm.
0: so if you yeah. do and you said your end of october so
1: you're probably gonna finish by the time i start
0: yeah okay yeah we if might everything just, goes well we kind of can relay it we see what our combined yeah. time is or something like that
1: <laughs> well you can turn back around me with me yeah. halfway <laughs> bump
0: into you somewhere in nebraska maybe exactly <laughs>
1: that'd be sweet uh, no but you know i think you just said it right i think that's the beauty of the adventure you know we we're just putting ourselves out there and we're testing ourselves we're testing the limits and we'll see what's going to happen. So I think that's, that's just so thrilling. Mm -hmm. That's so exciting.
0: It is the thing I like about the sport. And one thing I've tried to do the entire time I've here here is just be super transparent about what I'm doing and why I'm doing, regardless of whether it's right or wrong, you know, people can look at what I'm doing and say, he's an idiot. Why is he doing it that way? And that's, (laughs) that's totally fine. But I, I, what I, what, when I first got into the sport, you know, the extreme endurance stuff was mostly like triathlon in terms of like notoriety mm-hmm. in it. And I'm not trying to, you know, nitpick that sport, but there was a little bit more of like, I think secrecy behind it, where, you know, you have someone who has a great race. They don't necessarily want to tell you how they trained, what they ate, why they did it because, right. you know, that's their secret weapon.
1: Yeah.
0: Whereas the way I think, you know, we talk about whys and things like that. One of the whys that I think I've uh, really gravitated to in the last that last half of my career is just like, you know, whether I break a record or set a personal best or something like that. You know, there's always going to be people who come along that do it faster, better, more impressively. So, like, to hold on to that as your like your ultimate why or right. what is fleeting, and it's just going to put you in a state of misery later in your your life when you look back and watch these people just blister everything that
1: we've done. Absolutely right. No, no I, I can agree more.
0: And, and to then that it becomes, a, I think, more of a, of a challenge or a, a motivation of like, you know, what can I learn from the people who did this before me and then possibly highlight something that will be valuable for the next person. And then they do it and then they do it. And that's how you really fine tune these things. So that's I've, a
1: great level of contribution in a way. Yeah.
0: And I mean, I think it's the most fulfilling way to do it. And I, yeah. I, I know, like, regardless of what my outcome is, there's going to be things I learned from Pete that had he not done it, I wouldn't have known about. So he kind of positions me to have a better potential than what he had. Wow. Um, Our timelines close enough where you might not be able to learn too much from me, but I'll I'll try to get you as much as I can. And hopefully it's, hopefully I'm able to process it quick enough to get that to you. Um, But I mean, you get the point.
1: Fantastic. I appreciate that for (laughs) sure. (laughs) I I hope I could, you know, get back to you at some point. (laughs)
0: Yeah, well, it'll be fun to follow you either way. I think it'll yeah. be interesting just to see just kind of how your experience goes. And at, at the very least, it might be fun when we both have it under our belts, uh, you know, assuming we both get it done. I'm, I'm, I I'm have confidence in the both of us, but uh, to sit down and just chat about our experience, see what, what compares, what contrasts, what were your hurdles yeah. and your successes, and maybe do another podcast about just... Uh, you know, everything that went right and wrong and what would maybe we do differently or keep the same.
1: Oh yeah, that would be great to, to reconnect and, uh, and chat it out for sure. I think that's a great idea.
0: Awesome, Mickey. Well, if you want to chat about anything else, you have anything else you want to share, we certainly can, but otherwise I want to make sure you have a chance to share with my listeners like where they can find you if you've got social media handles or websites that they can find you and then obviously, you know, where they can get your book if they want to check it out.
1: Yeah, of course. Well, my, my um, main social media handle is uh, off of Instagram, at mickey m-i-c-k-e-y last name graglia g-r-a-g-l-i-a and uh my website just launched you can find the link right there uh there is the book is actually launching in a week exactly so june 22nd uh it's gonna go live i'm gonna share the links and all of that on on our on my handles and uh yeah you know there's um there's quite a bit of stuff brewing and so i'm just excited to finally pull the trigger and get it out it's been a it's been a big, you know, a long journey to get to this point. So I'm very, very excited for this moment. And in a way, savoring each, each day and each step that is getting us there. So I hope the readers will enjoy, uh, you know, the stories that I share and I hope that it will inspire somebody to, to take on their road less traveled and see for themselves what they're capable of.
0: Perfect. Well, uh, Mickey, I'm convinced that you found your why. And I think, uh, you will help others find theirs with your book and uh, any of the promotional stuff you do between now and, and all of that stuff and every, every project you take on for the rest of your, your running adventures and things like that. So thanks for taking some time and coming on the show.
1: Thank you so much, man. It's been a pleasure.
0: All right, take care. Bye. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter.